So good evening. Um, I do have something in mind to talk about, um, but um, I wanted to open it up and see if there were any questions. And depending on what happens with the questions, we can, uh, we'll take as much time as we need on that. And uh, the, the topic that I'm uh, having in mind is, is part of an, uh, going to be a longer term discussion that we're starting. So if we, if we get into it tonight, fine. If not, that's all right, too. So does anyone have any questions either about your meditation practice, uh, Dharma questions? I was reflecting on the uh, advice, meditation advice of using the, dur tonight during meditation, of using the breath as an anchor. Yes. And uh, this, room is, this room and the surrounding area is so uh, in which for uh, yeah. noisy noise distraction right, right. and uh, was um, just wondering I so part of my attention is on my breath yeah and uh, when a sound or noise or talking comes up um, I try to be present with it and often uh, though it, I just find myself getting uh, distracted by it or or uh, sucked into it or yeah. upset by it right. Doesn't seem to be really helping my uh, right. meditation practice. I would like to just say a couple of things in general. That's actually a, a great question. So first of all, um, ultimately in in, the, in our style of practice and in insight meditation, there really are no distractions, and there's just what's happening moment by moment how we work with it. So that's kind of from a, one perspective. However, it is very important to set up supportive conditions for the development of meditation. So we like to be able to have a quiet place if we can. We like to be able to sit in a way that can support the body in a way that uh, will work for us th during the, 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 the period of our, uh, the meditation period. Um, so as we're practicing, it's one thing later when, the, when, the, when our concentration, our mindfulness have strengthened, then there just aren't, just, things are just coming and going and it doesn't pull us off at all and 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 when we're in that place we know it as we're uh in until we get there we actually have a there's a couple of different perspectives depending on how we want to work uh one perspective would say well, we would try to uh have a room that had less noise as opposed to in other words we do make some preferences we don't just say well let's go anywhere you know we go sit out in the middle of the super bowl and have your meditation i mean but at the same time, you know, if it's really noisy, but at the same time, you get what you get in a moment and we work with it the best we can. So we do want to acknowledge that it can be, uh, it can be more challenging if we haven't strengthened our mindfulness and our concentration. So we just want to be honest about it. It can be. Um, so that's number one. Second thing is... Um, what you said is trying to use your breath as an anchor, your, that advice. Um, I wonder if I can just ask you here, so if that's as opposed to, would you, what would that be as opposed to a different kind of style of meditation? That or doesn't particular focus went to that sound, yeah. or, or I was just really focused on my breath, totally. Right, yeah. So this is an interesting topic. Um, so there's a wide range of how Vipassana meditation is taught. Um, it can, uh, one, one of mm, so let me back up for a second. 
One particular teacher who's no longer alive named Mahasi Sayadaw, a Burmese teacher, very influential, is extremely influential in the insight meditation scene that, as it is in this country. Because he was influential with the IMS, Insight Meditation Society, Joseph Goldstein, Sharon Salzberg, Jack Cornfield, that whole scene, a lot of the spirit rock teachers. So they tend to teach in a style heavily influenced by this one teacher. And then and in that style of practice, you may begin by giving some preference to the breathing, but actually you practice in a way that there isn't any particular preference to the breath. It's more just whatever's predominant moment by moment in your experience, you're just bringing the mindfulness to that. And so you can practice in a way that doesn't give any preference to anything. And if, if we're practicing in that way, who cares what's happening? Because it's just what's going on moment by moment. So no problem. Sound is arising, passing away. Uh, body sensations are coming and going, whether they're pulling you away from the breath or not or whatever, it doesn't matter. Because we're just, it's just, it's not what we're being mindful of, it's just the fact of trying to be mindful moment by moment. That's just one style of practice. There's another style of practice that's sort of the other end of the spectrum, which uh, is, holds on to the breath exclusively, say, if you, or whatever primary meditation object we're using, but we'll say breath here. There's other things you could also use, we could talk about. If you're practicing in that style, you would, it doesn't matter whatever else is happening, you just, to the best you can, without making a struggle about it or getting in a tense about it, the best you can, you would really put a lot of effort into just staying exclusively with the breath to develop both your concentration and your mindfulness. And everything else you would just let stay in the background the most you can, and that'd be a different style of practice. And then there's a third style of practice, which actually happens, this third style happens to be the way I practice. But, you know, we each need to find the way that works the best for us. One of the important things is, is that we're all different, and there is no one way that's sort of the, quote, best way or the right way, right? There's many, many styles of practice. Um, so that's really important, and it's part of this, the, the discovery that we all go through is sort of trying something out and seeing how we may work with a particular teacher, and that may influence the style we start practicing in. Or just on our own, we may hear a certain emphasis in a certain way, or a different take, and, and be drawn to something, and maybe try that. So that's, that's just important to say. So this third way, which is the way I tend to practice, which is kind of a middle place, I practice in a way that gives um, it's not exclusive to the breath, but I would say, I would call it very strong preference to the breath. Matter of fact, I've been meditating for about 37 years, and really breath meditation is my practice. It's called Anapanasati, and it's a whole, it was emphasized a lot by the Buddha as a full and complete practice. Uh, it's not the only way he talked about practicing, but as a, as a full and complete practice. And that's the way I've naturally been drawn to practice, and I've found it to be very powerful. So that would be a whole discussion we could have about well, what is it about breath that might be why I personally recommend it as, as the way to practice. So if someone comes to me for meditation instructions, that's the way I would teach them meditation. If I teach a retreat over at Spirit Rock, I'll teach more in the Mahasi style because that's how they do it. So I can teach it that way, but really, in my heart of hearts, uh, what I would really have people do is give 
a very strong preference to the breath, but being quite ready and willing to let go of the breath when, when those times come. So um, it, it's not quite exclusive breath. And the, and the advantage, because there are times when even if we're trying to really do with the breath a lot, and there's a lot of advantages to that, both for cultivating concentration and mindfulness together and insight. Um, even if that's our intention, there will be times, even in the quietest room, when other things will be pushing themselves to the forefront of our consciousness. Body pain, emotions, uh, compulsive thoughts that keep cranking around, or all different kind of things might happen. Uh, the hindrances coming and going, there can just be so many things. And when that really happens, um, part of the art of learning to meditate is, and it, it is an art, so we're not going to get it perfectly right the first time, or maybe take, it's, it's a lifelong uh, practice, is knowing when is it time to let go of the breath, and when, when do we turn into this other experience. So that's part of the learning. As practice opens, it, it starts to happen more on its own, and, and it's just all becomes, there's no, we don't have to choose so much anymore. It's just all happening, and it's just clear. But it, 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 it's oftentimes it's not that way, and so we have to choose. So just one moment, please. I just kind of, I know it's a long answer, but it's actually a big topic. So it, I say that because you were reflecting on that advice about using the breath as an anchor. So first of it, of it, of all, we have to be clear. I just want to recap here: clear on the style that we're practicing. Um, and also, depending on how you've learned to practice, you may have worked with different teachers. You may have read a few books, maybe, and some of that's, that can be confusing because there's a lot of, a, bit, a wide world of different teacher, teachings out there. Um, so getting clear on what we're doing, and if you're not clear, you come talk to somebody. You talk to other teachers, you come talk to me, whoever. And, get, and, and, and that's one of the reasons why it can be useful to check in with teachers from time to time. Uh, to help kind of fine-tune as you go along. And then, depending on what your intention is, how do we work with everything else? So, so you have to map the noise coming in. Like, I thought it was particularly noisy tonight. Uh, and so uh, we have to map that onto um, how I'm practicing. And then that will influence the response. So I was noticing in myself, for example, I actually wanted to talk later, if, if we will, about the hindrances a little, leading into that topic. And I was just noticing tonight, normally, I find that this room mostly tends to be pretty quiet most of the time. But definitely there's some times when, like, those doors had turned. I was wondering, why is it noisier tonight? Some of the kids and those doors in the back, two levels of layers of doors were both wide open. So normally I would sit and just work. But I, I noticed I was getting kind of, actually got up and went and closed that door. I was trying to be quiet close the door. So I was really noticing, wow, I'm feeling some irritation, some annoyance here. Right? So, you know, the first key is to be mindful and aware of what's going on. If we're not and we're just caught in it and lost in it, uh, we're just reactive. So anyway, there's a whole piece there. Um, anyway, yes, please. Well, I was just thinking as you were speaking about a tape, I heard that Ram Dass spoke about the same thing. And they were meditating over a fire station. Yeah. <laughs> and there were two fires on this weekend. And you could hear, I mean, you know, he took a talk and gave some instructional meditation. And oh, you mean on the tape you're hearing it? Oh, yeah, you could even hear it on the tape. 
I said. So at one point he said, you realize what a gift this is? I'm sure people's jaws were locked, you know, because it's right, they're right over it. He said, look at the gift of this. What I try and do, I mean, he, he was anticipating all the questions from the crowd, saying, yeah. what the hell do we do about this? And he said, I, I, I just take that energy and that sound and uh, work it up my spine through the chakras and use it as a source of energy until it gets up to my head. And then I, you know, he was, I, I think he, I can't remember correctly, but I think he was emphasizing the breath. Yeah, and that's very interesting, and it's exactly a good point. So, so he mapped what happened on. So, in the way we teach here, now you were all doing whatever kind of practices you're doing. But if you're doing vipassana meditation, we're not working with chakras and everything. But that he was working in that style, so he just mapped what the, the noise right on to fit on into his style of practice. Here, there would be well, how does that fit into work doing insight or or vipassana practice or whatever you want to do. So, you know, it might be different if you're working in a different style. So that's very interesting. Yeah. So what I would say is, is that what we want to do is then uh, do our best to set up the most uh, conducive environment that we can. So in other words, if we had a chronic noise problem, we would want to talk to the church. We would want to see how we can fix it. We would go to another room or whatever like that. Because we want to try to set up the best conditions we can. And then in the moment, what do you do with you get what you get? So there's, there's sort of both, I think, are important. I'm pretty new at this, um, but I went to a day long with Jack Cornfield, and he had um, some sort of chants, I mean, I would build with loving kindness. And how does that fit in with what you're talking about? Well, so um, actually, this is, these are interesting questions here because, no, no, this is really good because we're sort of getting back to the basics about Vipassana, so maybe that can be the theme for the evening, I don't know. Um, so... Um, we didn't say them out loud. Yeah, so I don't know exactly what he was doing, but in general, um, all the meditation or all the Dharma practices that, that we do are, fall into two broad groups or families of practices. One of the families of practices are what are called insight, or the wisdom practices, I should say. Vipassana is a wisdom practice. And it's mostly, it's not so much about trying to create any particular experience. It's more considered to be a liberation practice. It's, it's, it's what brings us to this deep awakening and freedom and liberation, or if you like the word enlightenment. Um, we do... We, do, we are actually cultivating some particular experiences because we are trying to uh, deepen our mindfulness, so that is making a shift. We are strengthening concentration, whether you know it or not, that's, that's happening. So, so we are developing certain states, but the goal is not the particular states, those are just in service of the wisdom of the insight that leads to the, lib to the liberation. That's what Vipassana practices are. There's a whole other family of practices where the actual goal is creating certain states. And these loving kindness practices, for example, and there's many ways to do it. Um, make, making these wishes, these intentions, may I have love in my heart or whatever he was saying. And, and the purpose there is a little different. The purpose there is for the purification of the heart. So to get into a place uh, to cultivate a heart of love, 
or compassion is the purpose there. So um, both of those are types of practices are important and both of them uh, are supportive and complement each other. And uh, matter of fact, we will end this evening, depending on the time, either with a short little loving kindness meditation, five or 10 minutes or something, or something like that that's about the heart. So they both have a place. Some people emphasize one more than the other. So there'll be some people like these loving kindness type or compassion practices, it's their whole practice. And that's, that'd be fine. For other people don't formally do those practices and they do the Vipassana, the insight uh, meditation type practices. And some people find that the heart naturally opens by doing that. So once again, it's, it's looking at how you know, we have all these tools in our toolkit and finding you know, what, what supports us in the best way. So, okay. Yes, please. I have a couple of beginner questions. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty new and I get really sleepy and my head is like a bobbing apple. Yeah. And I'm not sure what to do about that. Yeah. And I don't know, should I say my second question now? Go ahead, sure. Well, um, the, the refuges. I mean, I sort of understand them, but um, it's never really been explained to me. I mean, in sh sort of what, um, what it really means. Like, I'm not intending to... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So no one's really explained to me what that uh, yeah. yeah. So two questions. One is about working with sleepiness, mm -hmm. and the second is is about just what's the what are the refuges. So those are kind of disparate questions we have there too. So, so um, I'll say something just briefly about working with sleepiness, but it's actually part of this whole topic on hindrances that that we're going to start moving into. But also, we're going to go into a lot more. But basically, um, we all experience sleepiness for a number of reasons. And maybe we're just tired and sleep deprived. It's, it's in the evening. We've had long days. And sometimes just are sleepy. Um, it could be a lot of different things. How we work with it is there's a number of ways you can work with it. Um, you can um, um, stand up. And we often talk about that, and we and um, uh, if you do, if you stick around this, the, the, the groups like ours very much, if you sit retreats much, you will definitely hear and there see people who will just stand up, and that is, uh, and sometimes people feel a little self-conscious about it, but it really is the thing to do. Uh, you know, the Buddha was very clear that you could be enlightened in any of four postures: sitting, standing, walking, and lying down. So from that point of view, and you can get very concentrated in any of those postures. Actually, it's fine. So uh, stand up and open your eyes, and that can bring a lot of energy in, and then just continue doing your practice just like that, maybe connect with the breath or whatever. Um, oftentimes, that's helpful. You could have your eyes closed also, but keeping them open. You could, you know, just quietly, so, you know, try not to disturb your neighbor, but just bring in some deep breaths can um, really bring some energy in. Um, also... Um, uh, I've heard it said that the Burmese say that if you press on and pull your earlobes, it will help. And so um, if you really press, it hurts, right? So that probably, maybe that's the trick right there. Or maybe it's an acupressure point. Or I don't really know, but you have to try that out. Um, also, if you come to a group like this, it's at a set time, so you don't have much control over it. But in your daily life practice, um, you may find that certain times of day are more conducive than others. 
sometimes putting some cool water in your face, you know, just doing things like that. Um, you know, whatever, you know, I, I um, happen to be going through a time just this last week and a half of being particularly sleep deprived myself. And uh, I can usually work with it pretty well. Uh, sometimes if the concentration's strong, it's not an issue. You can just kind of, kind of cut right through it. But I was noticing I was so sleepy that I uh, had some uh, caffeine tea before I came for the evening. So just so I wouldn't, you know, just have some alertness. So you want to be careful about that. It's not like we want to go run for the drugs every time, you know. But this, this might be controversial, but I personally feel like there's nothing wrong with the wise and skillful use of caffeine um, when we need it. It's okay. Some people it makes them more jittery. Some think it's not so good for me. It just helps, helps me. And then, so you can find what works and supports you. Uh, and then, um, if that's not happening, what you're really doing, you know, you're trying everything. The, I think the, the hardest thing is when we're fighting against falling asleep. And I happen to find that that's of all the different kind of unpleasant experiences that can come in meditation, and it's, uh, we're each going to have our kind of top experiences that, that are the most challenging for us. I find that sitting here, if I'm really just being pulled into sleep, is particularly unpleasant. So that's kind of an edge for me that I just don't do so well with that. And I always kind of, I tend to say, well, this is on the tape here, but well, I tend to say, <laughs> I tend to say um, what's the point of sitting here falling asleep? I just get up and I'll come back another time when the mind's more fresh. Other people would have a different take on that and say, no, how do you work with this? So try not to be in a struggle with it. Do everything you can. And then if you really are just still falling asleep, then just gracefully um, allow it to take you as it's going to and um, you know, enjoy your nap. And if you really start snoring too much, you know, we'll kind of nudge you a little. And, 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 and it's OK. You know, it happens. And don't be embarrassed. And just nod it off. There's a story that one teacher well, I'll actually say his name because um, he said it in public many times. So this has already been put out there publicly, so I don't think he'll mind. And, and he's, he's someone I, I know well. Uh, some of you will know Gil Fronstahl, who's a very well-known and respected teacher. And he told a story when he was in the Zen world. And it's, you know, like these big bells that are like, you know, two feet or three feet tall or whatever. And his job was in the Zendo to sit in front. And whenever they were doing the service or whatever, he would be, he'd ring the bell. And he said they were sitting there silently, and he nodded off to sleep. And as he nodded, he fell forward, and his head gonged the bell. <laughs> if that wasn't bad enough, it happened a second time in the same sit. <laughs> so, you know, thing, we do the best we can. Uh, so your second question on the refuge is, um, it's a big topic. So I'll just say it very briefly. Um, about what they are and then just basically what the chant is. So if you, just if you just think about what is a refuge, a refuge, you know, refuge is a place we go to. It's a shelter. It's a place for, say, safety or we go to, to for our well-being, right? That would be a refuge. And so the idea in the Dharma teaching is, is that most of what human beings do, and by the way, this is not criticizing anyone. And it's not meant to be judgmental of anyone. It's just sort of a statement of how it is in the human condition. How is it that we all, 
I don't think I know anyone here well. Some of you I know a little bit, but um, so I'm just making a generalization here. But I, I would bet this is true for probably all of us to some degree. What, how is it that we live our lives? What are we doing in order to be okay, to find our refuge, if you will? It's a rhetorical question. Uh, I'm guessing that for all of us, it's it's some version of we're, we're we're engaged in setting up the circumstances of our lives in whatever way it's going to vary for each of us and whatever we need, whatever we want to, in order to be okay. So in other words, we want to have whatever, uh, maybe like um, a place to live, a shelter. We want to maybe have, not be struggling financially, so maybe we're, we're I don't know, whatever. Maybe you want to have your health. You want to have whatever it is that life looks like to you that, to make your, you okay. So that's just what we all do. I mean, I'm sort of stating the obvious here. It's kind of silly to even say it, right? Everybody, that's just what we're all doing. Uh, the way I often say it is none of us are trying to get, we're all trying to get more of what we want life to look like and less of what we don't want life to look like. There's no one here who's trying to get less of what you want and more of what you don't want, right? That's just being a human being. That's okay, that's what we're doing. So let's just acknowledge that that's what's happening. It's fine, except there's just this one little catch in that. And that is, if the only place we can look for our well-being is into external circumstances, it's a little um, tenuous <laughs> because life's not controllable. Just, you know, it kind of looks like you can sort of control, but really it's not within our control. You can strengthen, what the way we say it in the Dharma world is you can strengthen certain conditions that would tend to lead towards certain outcomes, right? So for example, if I live in what we would call a safe neighborhood versus what we would call a dangerous neighborhood. I am strengthening certain conditions so that I would tend to have less crime, less chance maybe someone would break into my house or something like that. However, that doesn't assure that no, someone's not going to break into your house. You've been reading the papers what's going on in Oakland. I live in Oakland in you know, you know, what you'd call a you know, decent neighborhood. And you know everybody in Montclair is going crazy because the crime rate's going up, and they're saying, "Wait a minute, that's okay down there in the flats, but we're up here in Montclair. This is unacceptable, right? You can't control it." So life's not 100% controllable. That's the idea. There's an element of uncertainty built into it. So if our welfare is completely tied up into having to have certain experiences and not have others, or completely tied up in life having a certain way, we're okay as long as things go our way. But what do we do when it doesn't go our way? Or inevitably things change anyway. So even if you could create your life to be your ideal fantasy life, it might be great for a while. But even that won't last forever, right? We know this. We, we don't live our lives as if it's true, but what would you know? So the idea of refuge in a Dharma sense is it doesn't say you have to throw the world life away, but it's saying how can we come to some freedom and liberation, awakening and enlightenment 
right? And maybe in the midst of our lives, I don't see any monastics here. There are people who go into, who, you know, maybe live in caves or in monasteries and do that. But I, for most of us and here in the West, it's really turning out to be a lay, non-monastic practice. So how can we come to this freedom and awakening in, in our lives? While we are busy living our lives, let us also see if we can start to shift the relationship with what's happening. Can we find a more reliable refuge? Is there something more reliable than having to have the, 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 the external or internal circumstances look a certain way? So the shift is we start to look and see um, can our well-being or our welfare be more about how we're relating to whatever's happening than just the, the experience itself? And that's a shift. Right? It's not just the experience, it's how we're relating to the experience. So we're starting to look to a different level for refuge. And then the Dharma is saying, well, what are some refuges that might be more reliable that we can also incorporate into our lives? And there's three of them, the Buddha, the, the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. So the Buddha, the word, the word Buddha, it comes from this root, root the Buddha, it, it means uh, awake. So the Buddha just means the awakened one. So it's taken normally in a couple of different ways. When we take refuge in the Buddha, uh, it could be that we actually reflect on, think about, uh, put our trust in that there actually was this historical figure who lived and actually was able to come to some great understanding or liberation or freedom or some, some awakening that really uh, sort of, he was able to extricate himself some way from the human predicament, if you will, and come to some deeper place, whatever that enlightenment is. Another way people take refuge in the Buddha is in just that quality of awakeness itself. And there's a real refuge there when we come from a place that, that is more, uh, as we start to rest in that place more and more, then we're able to meet whatever's happening in our lives from that place more. And that's, so that's a place of refuge. So that's one place. Uh, second refuge of the Dharma, that's the Sanskrit. In the Pali, it's Dhamma, um, is simply, Dharma has actually a, a number of meanings. Two particular meanings uh, when we're taking refuge is um, it can mean the way of things or the truth. So we just take refuge in the things are as they are. And also the teachings themselves are, are the Dharma, so we can take refuge in that. And then the third, the Sangha, is the community, supportive community. Right? Uh, an example I often give, I actually kind of got myself into, hopefully not trouble, but I was, I was um, teaching a, a, some classes recently, and I used an example, I was trying to um, appreciate people's intention for coming to a group that was about learning how to meditate. And I said, you know, um, this isn't the, I was in Albany, I said, you know, it's not the Albany Kennel Club that we've come to tonight. And then I had to backtrack because I realized my point wasn't to pick on the Albany Kennel Club. That's a fine thing to do, it's probably nice, nice people, they love their dogs, it's probably a nice thing to do. My only point was, if you go to the Albany Kennel Club, it's about something particular, which is your dogs. Coming to groups like this is about something particular. That's why it's a refuge. 
because we're not doing dogs here. We're doing, uh, you know, how can we learn to live and act in ways that are wise and skillful and lead us to uh, a liberation or a freedom or a happiness? Less suffering and more well-being. So that's why it's a refuge. Because so anyway, that's a long answer, but that's does that kind of clear about what these refuges are? Mm -hmm. But the concept is, I think I was also asking, if there's something formal that one does to take refuge. Ah, so was that actually the whole question? It wasn't so much about what were the refuges? Uh, no, you're good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yes, so here's the way it works, and we could actually do something. I, I was in another group, we actually did something formal, so um, you can do a little ceremony if you'd like. So formally taking the refuges is that, you don't have to do that chant we did. It, it, one way to do refuges is you just re literally reflect on and just t own it, take it on. But you know what? I'm going to sign up for this. And it doesn't mean we never forget or we don't fall back on our uh, whatever. But we uh, start to incorporate that reflection about the refuges into our lives more and more. That's one way we do it. Another way is a lot of people uh, like uh, this little Pali chant, for example, which is very is tr the traditional chant. The little sheets are back there if you'd like and get it. And that is the, tr the English is on there too, right? Yes, yeah, so you can see what the meaning is. And some people actually chant it in a formal way. And then if you actually want to sort of officially take refuges, and precepts is another thing people take too that goes along with that, you can, you can formally do it in, in, in at least two ways I can think of. You can just, within yourself, sit down and just Okay, I'm, I'm make, setting an intention here. It's all about intention to take the precepts. That's 100% done. And some people find that there's something just very beautiful about actually doing a ceremony either one-on-one -on -one with someone or in a group where you can uh, chant them together, reflect on them. Maybe typically you might hear a talk, a little talk on them, like you just got a mini talk on them. And then do something, sometimes you'll take, we'll take these protection cords and tie some knots and ring the bells and do a little ceremony, which is weird. And um, you can do that too. Perhaps one time in this group we might do it at some point. People are, you know, not everybody wants to do that. Uh, but, so it can, it can, there's a number of ways it can happen. So kind of all over the place, a lot of questions. Any other? You know, what strikes me is um, that you know, all of us, just listening to different questions people are asking, and, and I mean, everybody who comes here, we're all just so sincerely, uh, that's when I actually, when I say, you know, it's not the whatever, you know, we're not the antique car uh, owners club, or not the, the 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 Albany Kennel Club, or whatever, which would be fine, and you know, hopefully we do find those things and get some enjoyment out of them. Um, uh, but what, but it, it's because Dharma is so important to me, and I'm assuming to you. I always find it just really inspiring for myself, and I would just invite you to take a moment to reflect for yourself. You know, the intention that brought you here, like you know, you did, you did, you showed up to a group that's about uh, these, these incredible teachings and practices on how we can be as free as we can be. 
and live in a way with our hearts as open and loving and full of compassion as we can be and as wise and skillful as we can be. So, you know, um, and we're all here sincerely looking and, and practicing. Sometimes we judge ourselves and um, don't, we, we, we miss our real sincere in, intention. And it just strikes me hearing people asking, oh, what, what are these, what, I, mean, I don't know, I haven't heard that before about refuges or whatever, but you know, I'm not so sure about how I work with this skillfully sleepiness or, what about when, how I work with these difficult sounds that come? You know, people are, you know, we could just sit here when the sounds come, and, and by the way, what I'm about to say may very well have happened, and that's okay, but we could just sit here and just be going, you know, you know, and we don't even stop to reflect that, is there a way to deal with difficulties when they come? Even if we just for a moment think about, okay, I'm, I don't know if I'm doing very well, to tell you the truth, I'm kind of annoyed, but... I'd like to be able to work with them. Even if it's just a thought that comes through, that's a real uh, intention. And one of the uh, traps that can happen sometimes is, is that people often are, can be so hard on themselves. I haven't heard anyone say that here tonight, but I just want to name this. can be very hard on themselves and can um, feel like, you know, I'm not doing it so well and I'm supposed to be this way or I should be that way and, and I'm only doing it like this and it's, it's kind of feeble or whatever we think. And one of the things we always say, and you just can't say it enough times, is, is that how poorly or how well you're doing something, which even saying that's already, we've got a judgment going in that may not be serviced that well, but just for the sake of the discussion, however good or bad you think you're doing it, is only about how the, the habits of your mind. It's just habit. We, the way your mind's conditioned. I don't know how everybody's mind has got the habits they got. I don't know. Who knows? That's what we're working on. We just are what we are. We're working on it. So how, you know, if you forget to meditate and you beat yourself up, well, it's just the way your mind's habituated. We're working on it or whatever. But your intention, that speaks very deeply about what's really true about you. Even if you think you're terrible at all this, and oh, I'm not a good Dharma person, and I can't meditate, and I hate everybody, or whatever, but um, don't laugh. I've had times where I felt that way. <laughs> you wake up, and it's just like, oh, if they only knew what was going on in my mind. <laughs> right? Yeah, we're human beings. Look, it's not a bad thing. By definition, until you're a Buddha yourself, you still have places in the mind where there is greed, hatred, and delusion. So it's going to come up sometimes. That's not bad. That's good. Because you get to see, oh, there's another place. Oh, I didn't see that one. Oh, yeah. And we start to see more and more. And then we can, it can, hopefully we can let go of it. It can be liberated or we deal with it and whatever. So by definition, we're all going to have places where we get caught up. That leads into this whole thing of hindrances that uh, one of these
these days we're actually going to talk about. <laughs> and could you touch on one tonight? I'd love to hear yeah. just the first part oh, yeah. of one hindrance. Yeah. So let me just back up for a second here and say this. So, but let me just finish this one thing I was saying here. So, so our intention is 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 the most important thing to put as our. Uh, not how we're judging ourselves, but hopefully we can let go of that judging, comparing mine altogether. That would be great. But the, the thing that we look to as, as, that we hold fast to, what's our intention? And even when we're having a hard time, we can go back and onto that. Um, so, yes, so here's the context for wanting to talk about the hindrances. I brought up, I haven't been here for several weeks, but I was here for, because I co-teach with Bonnie O'Brien Johnson, so she, she's here a chunk of time, and I'm here for a chunk of time. Um, had brought up a quote from the Buddha that said, um, anyone who has ever been enlightened, ever, I'm paraphrasing, but it's pretty close, anyone who's ever been enlightened, or anyone who is fully enlightened right now, or anyone who ever will be enlightened, does so by um, overcoming the hindrances, or setting aside the hindrances, depending on how we translate it or interpret it. Um, cultivating the four foundations of mindfulness. And then through that, realizing the seven factors of enlightenment. Well, that's, that's kind of a lot there, but really that's a pretty succinct kind of statement of everything. Anyone who's ever been enlightened, ever or is or will be, uh, does so by just these three things. So if we can just focus on that, it contains the whole Dharma. Everything's contained in there. So what I thought was, it was I can't remember what brought that up in my mind. I read it again or something sparked it. And I thought that would be an interesting way to work systematically through the teachings because here on these group evenings, we don't tend to be that systematic. You know, I'm not sure what Bonnie does when she comes. I, uh, we, she and I talk about it sometimes. And I tend to come because there's something that seems it's really up that I, and that's what I tend to come with on my mind to talk about. Except evenings like this, maybe we open up for questions. So we wanted to work systematically through there, and there's a few things. So it would be, first of all, what's enlightenment? And is that even something that we care about? Um, I would argue that, um, that, if every, that we all would care about that. It's basically about living in a way to be as free and awake and clear as we can be. We could say more about that, but just briefly. So if that's something, it's not like you have to be in a cave. I'm talking about in the midst of our lives, you know, how to be as awake as we can be. If that's of interest to us, then be worth it to start. Okay, what are these hindrances? So I'll come, I'm going to say in a second, and, but that's the background for this. Understanding them, because it's, it's such a big part of these teachings, is being able to set the hindrances aside because if, if they're too much, um, they just flatten us. So we need to be able to work with the hindrances somehow and then practice these four foundations of mindfulness, which is really the foundations for Vipassana meditation. And then through that, realize these seven factors of enlightenment. So we want to, we're going to work through that. So uh, the hindrances basically are any states of the mind and the heart that uh, tend to hook us, give us trouble where we get caught, where we're stuck in suffering, where we're not just clear and awake and free. 
It's a different, there's a list that's also called defilements, which overlaps the hindrances a lot. And that's kind of negative language, but they, it's, it really means parts of the mind are defiled because there are forces in the heart and the mind that, uh, where we're not free. And there's a few other kind of lists in there. So um, these, there's five hindrances. And most troubles, maybe all trouble that you can have is pro you can refer it back as probably having one of these five hindrances coming up. And so I'll just name them real quickly. We're going to come back and start from scratch and do this again. What the hindrances are is the first one is what's called sense desire. And what that means is, is that um, that desire, that wanting is um, the reason it's a hindrance is um, it pulls us into things all of a sudden we're especially if it gets strong and there's a craving that comes up. You know, people think in Buddhism, the, the Buddha said we're supposed to have no desire and just be, I guess, I don't know, maybe we're supposed to be numb or dead or I don't know what. But actually, there's a lot of desires that the Buddha talked about that were encouraged, like desire for the Dharma and the desire for awakening. If that turns into a craving, it's become corrupted. But that can be a wholesome desire. You know, if you didn't have the desire to meditate, you wouldn't show up at a group like this. There's a lot of wholesome desires, but it can get, let's just say, um, sensual desire uh, turns, it, it, it's a craving is what, what you're really talking about. And it gets, it, it causes the mind to cling and grasp on. Like, I just gotta have the, gotta get a, gotta have this experience. So that's just for now to say. The second hindrance is really the opposite of it, which is um, aversion. So sense desire is the, is the place where we're pulled towards something and we're, we're craving, we've got to have it. Aversion is the opposite. I've got to get rid of this. So like when the sound is coming out here and you know, if we're feeling annoyance coming up, we're having one of the hindrances come up. It's not, there's the sound and then there's, oh, that sound is distracting me and, and all of a sudden we're caught up in it. We're not just balanced and equanimous and awake and clear and free in the moment. So it's a hindrance because it tends to catch us. And then there's uh, three other hindrances I'll just name. One of them uh, was actually what you were talking about, about sleepiness. The traditional language is, and I love it so, uh, you really get the sense of it, and the language they use is called sloth and torpor. <laughs> so we can say a lot more about that. And so what happens is the mind's too dull to do the practice. So it's a hindrance then because we need to, right, it's too dull. And the opposite of that is a hindrance, which is, there's actually two varieties of it, which is restlessness. Sometimes it's called restlessness and worry or re restlessness and remorse. So when the mind's too stirred up then and won't settle down. And then the fifth one is called skeptical doubt. It's a hindrance because it kind of just undercuts everything. Like we don't believe I can do this practice, so we don't even believe in the teachings or many ways it can manifest. So real briefly, those are what the hindrances are. So there's a lot that can be said about them and we need to spend some time. That was just really quick. Um, and you can see if you're really having like a strong hindrance attack, right? You're really, say you sit to meditate, and let's just say you're just filled with, we'll pick out an aversion. Maybe it's particularly noisy. 
you know, if you're just clear and awake and present and not buffeted around by what's happening, the sounds are rising and passing away. It's no problem. It's actually not the problem, it's the sound. But if we are getting caught in a lot of reactivity around it, we're not, right? We're not clear and awake and we're actually suffering and we're struggling and it's hard to just to be present and, and work with things if it's very strong. So all of a sudden, uh, there's a hindrance there. Right? That's one of the reasons why we do want to set up particular uh, special conducive environments to meditate because until we've done a certain amount of work to kind of free us up from the hindrances, they tend to get us easily. So uh, it's nice to be able to have some silence, for example, where we can strengthen some of these qualities we bring to work with whatever happens. And then when they arise, uh, we've, you know, we've got a stronger concentration of mindfulness. So you can see if you have just a lot of anger, and then uh, I remember once actually we were here and there was some festival, or, or what was it? Something was going out over here. It was a big barbecue, it must be their annual whatever, yeah. So they had all these tables, there must have been 100 people right outside here. <laughs> Kids screaming. It, I mean, they were just having a great time. But I mean, there was just no way. And so we were just all sitting here and basically it was just a roar. And there's, there's no soundproofing in these windows. I mean, the windows might as well have just been wide open. A roar. So that's what was happening. And I tried every once in a while to say, okay, this, look, this is what we got. Let's see how we can work with it. We'll talk about it later. And I, every once in a while I'd open my eyes and look around and you kind of had to, kind of just had to give it up, right? And I noticed one person in particular, and I'm not picking on him, I don't blame him, he was about to, I thought it was going to pop. <laughs> <laughs> we even talked about it ahead of time, about how do we work with it and everything, but you know what? And he actually at some point finally just got up and left, which may have been the wisest thing to do because he just couldn't handle it. So that's a hindrance that was so strong that he couldn't work with it. So you can see how we need to be able to at least bring the hindrances down, turn the volume down, and then um, we can uh, start to work with them. We don't have to completely get rid of them. That comes later in the practice. So and it's kind of a, um, we have to be able to, through practice, we overcome the hindrances, but we also have to be able to uh, subdue the hindrances to a certain degree in order to practice. So there's sort of, we, they both, we just have to work at both sides. Take a moment to connect in with your experience if you're not always do, already doing it. And just notice what's happening in your experience, whatever it is. It doesn't have to be all peaceful and quiet. But just connecting with whatever's happening in your body, in your heart, in your mind, and noticing how you're being with whatever's happening. You know, how are, are we, can we just have that sense of allowing just things to be how they are? And then I would invite you, as I mentioned a little earlier, to bring to mind your intention around what brought you here this evening. 
you may not be clear. Sometimes we're not, we don't know, we're not so sure about our intentions, so you may or may not get a sense of something, but just reflect on it just for a few moments. And if you are able to connect into it, um, um, perhaps some appreciation for that. You know, it's not, it's not being egotistical to have some appreciation for the wholesome qualities within you. It's easy for us to focus in on the unwholesome qualities within us sometimes. So it can be very uh, helpful to focus in on the wholesome qualities and really have uh, some good feeling about that, to recognize that they're there. And that includes your uh, sincere intention. And then if you like, allowing your awareness to expand out to include um, everyone else here in this room together that we've turned into a meditation hall for the evening. And um, sending out really a sense of the word metta, of lo loving kindness, of love. Letting that radiate out to all the others here. You may or may not have a felt sense of loving kindness. If you'd like to work with some words, that's fine. And if you want, you could pick your own words or, you know, we always give these traditional phrases so you could pick one or more. Very simple. May everyone here be happy. Just repeating that wish. May everyone here be peaceful. May everyone here be safe. Just send me these good wishes. Make up any phrases you'd like. And then allowing your awareness, if you would like, you could stay with that or let it expand out so it goes out. Um, traditionally, you do it in all of these stages. But for, for now, we can just allow your awareness to radiate out so it goes to the local community, uh, the greater community, really out through the whole world and even beyond the world, so that it's just in all directions sending a sense of, um, of love uh, really to all beings everywhere. If there's a felt sense, that's good. If you want to use some words, and, and if it doesn't really matter if you actually feel the love, if you can, that's good. But if not, just even a thought is fully doing the practice. So it may be, um, again, very simple. You might think, wish, um, just as I wish to be happy, in that same way may all beings everywhere be happy. Just as I wish to be peaceful, May all beings be peaceful.
just as I wish to be free from suffering, may all beings everywhere be free. season is really happening. So have a good evening, everyone. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.